NetCredit is here to say yes to a personal loan or line of credit when other lenders say no. Apply in minutes and get a decision as soon as the same day. If approved, applications are typically funded the next business day or sooner. Loans offered by NetCredit or lending partner banks and serviced by NetCredit. Application subject to review and approval. Learn more at netcredit.com slash partner. NetCredit. Credit to the people. Wednesday edition of PFTPM. Sources close to me tell me that we are actually live right now on Sky Sports NFL and also on Peacock. So, Shireen, let's do our best to not screw it up. So we'll be on every Wednesday. Apparently, this is what I'm told. I haven't confirmed this. I just get emails from people who say, oh, yeah, you're on tonight at 10 o'clock local time. I did the math backward. That means we are live, not on an hour delay or anything. So they can't fix anything stupid or profane, we may say. So I'm going to do my best not to. Hello. How are you this afternoon? I'm doing terrific. My Astros just swept the Twins. I know you don't watch follow baseball, Mike, but Astros are advancing to the next round, so I'm happy today. Are they still cheating? <laughs> uh, apparently not, because their hitting is not very good right now. <laughs> <laughs> Need right. some buzzers. 18, 18 straight playoff losses for the Twins. I, it just feels like yesterday the Twins were winning a couple of World Series. 87-91, and 91, Kirby Puckett, Jack Morris. That's back... See, I gave up on baseball after 1992 when the Pirates lost in Game 7 of the NLCS to the Braves when Barry Bonds somehow was unable to throw out Sid Bream, who was considerably slower in, than me at 55. Uh, and, and I knew at that point the Pirates weren't going to be good for a long time. I had no idea it would be 30 years or close to it. So the, the, my memories of baseball are frozen in that late 80s, early 90s window. All right. I actually was uh, at that game. I was actually at that game that year, Mike. The just Braves happened to be there. Pirates game? Wow. Do you, yeah, do, can you just happened it? to be there with a friend. Uh, I, think I, I see Yeah, I have stuff. the tickets. All right, I have uh, I it. It's hanging it. on the wall. All right, I want to see it. Send me a picture. Okay, uh, we will be seeing the Titans and the Steelers play this week. The game is postponed. It is proceeding. It's because of the COVID-19 outbreak at the Tennessee Titans facility and within the team. Four players are positive. Five staff members are positive. Facility closed until Saturday, and it's going forward. So uh, that's good news. Now, do we have, Shireen, a final decision? I've been out of the loop for the last hour or so. Is there a final decision as to when the game is actually happening? No, they're hoping to play it on Monday, but who knows if we're going to have more positive tests or how this thing is going to play out. And if it does play on Tuesday, Mike, Trivia question for you. Do you know the last time the NFL played a Tuesday game? And there's a reason I'm asking you this question. Yes. Yes. It was December 28th, 2010. It was the Vikings at the Eagles. It was Joe Webb beating Joe Mike Webb. Vick 24 to 14. We were there. And I don't I, I I don't know that I have a ticket stub because I was there with NBC. We actually, <laughs> what we did, that game was supposed to be a Sunday night game. And right. we were in studio when the blizzard was bearing down on New York, Philadelphia, and the East Coast. And uh, they, they just moved the game to Tuesday night. So we stayed in the city and went down to Philadelphia by train and did the game from there on Tuesday night, down on the field, pregame, postgame, halftime. And uh, yeah, Joe Webb somehow beat uh, Mike Vick, because Brett Favre, that may have been like the first start he had ever missed once his streak began because he had a concussion, I believe. But uh, yeah, December 28, 2010. It makes for a short week on the back end. I hope it's not Tuesday because then the Titans have five days to play the Bills and the Steelers have five days to get ready for their next game, I think against the Browns. I'd almost rather if they move to Tuesday... The Bills game the following week and the Steelers game the following week be moved to Monday. And see, when you don't have fans, you can you can you're flexible, right? You can move a game from Sunday to Monday, Sunday to Tuesday, whenever you can do that. And I hope that they don't put the Bills and the Steelers in a position by moving it to Tuesday where they'd be pinched to get ready for the games that they have the following Sunday. And, you know, Mike, we've talked about this a lot, but the league has built in all these 
areas where they can move games and change games. If you notice on the schedule this week, there are no divisional matchups. And that was intended because if they had a COVID outbreak this week, those games could be thrown away or put at the end of the year or whatever. But they were not divisional matchups. Uh, so they could do away with them. So they planned all these things out. Now, we know what happens to the best laid plans. Sometimes they don't work out. But they have built this in, different various things. And so they're hoping to get this one in. And then we'll be four weeks in without having a game at least canceled. We will have had it postponed, but not canceled. And more is coming. I mean, we know that. This in league knows that. This is not a surprise. And it's not going to be a surprise going forward when we have more of these types of situations. Well, it's definitely going to keep coming if teams like the Raiders have their starting yeah. quarterback and multiple other members of the team showing up at events that violate local ordinances regarding indoor activities, people without masks on. And I, they were concerned that that kind of stuff would happen later in the year when teams are essentially eliminated from playoff contention, not in September when everyone's still alive. And they were concerned about guys at the bottom of the roster, young guys, guys that would do stupid things, that would give in to youthful indiscretions, not the starting quarterback of the team who should know better. So the Raiders haven't announced whether or not they're doing anything about those players. They have the power to implement discipline. The problem is if they start disciplining guys, their starting quarterback is going to be caught in that same vice. And that is a major problem. And I'm not suggesting they're going to suspend anybody, but they have to do something. Otherwise, it sends a horrible message to everyone else in the locker room and the rest of the league that there aren't real consequences for this kind of behavior, which really is even more shocking than the Titans outbreak because we knew it was inevitable there was going to be an outbreak. I didn't believe it would be inevitable that we'd see a scene like that just a few weeks into the season where stupidity overcomes the, the common sense and the logistics and the protocols aimed at limiting the spread of the virus. And the thing about the uh, Titans-Steelers game, real quickly, if it does happen Monday or Tuesday, that will mean, I believe, that we don't have any more positives. We don't have a further outbreak, because I think the delay to Monday or Tuesday is all about giving the Titans some fair opportunity to prepare for the game by having a couple of practices. But enough from us. Let's hear from the two head coaches who will be squaring off, hopefully on Monday or Tuesday, Mike Vrabel and Mike Tomlin of the Titans and the Steelers. You know, I know there's going to be a lot of questions about the game and about who's to blame and where it started. Um, nobody's to blame. You know, it's, it, we're in a pandemic. Unfortunately, things happen. John and I feel comfortable that since receiving the protocols in August, we followed those um, by the letter and that we were conscious of everything that we did. This is a very unfortunate situation, but one that we're confident that we will be able to handle uh, safely with with the football team and the players' um, best interest in mind. No mental issues for us. Um, regardless of all the variables that you mentioned, it was a Wednesday for us. We had a base preparation day regardless of those circumstances. And so we've tried to uh, stay focused on that. And to be honest with you, this COVID environment with closed locker rooms and so forth has really provided us an opportunity to do that probably easier than normal circumstances. Now, I want to go back to what Mike Vrabel said, Shereem. The notion that there's no one to blame, I don't know that I buy that because, and I love Mike Vrabel, but the ultimate pass-fail is whether or not you keep the virus out of your facility. Someone... When you have all of these protocols and the daily testing and the six feet and the contact tracers and the bracelets that vibrate if you get too close to somebody and the wearing of the masks and everything they're putting in place, someone either failed to design the right protocol because the protocols are supposedly designed to keep the virus out or someone failed in the actual following of the protocol. Uh, the virus wins. And... The question is whether or not this game is going to get scrapped and whether or not they can get it played and whether or not the facility is going to continue to be shut down. But somewhere, somehow, there there is blame to be laid. We may never know, but if everything worked the way it was supposed to, this wouldn't have happened. Or maybe there's an issue with the protocols. And if that's the problem, then they better fix them because you got 31 other teams that could end up in the same spot. Well, everybody right now, Mike, is pointing to Shane Bowen, and obviously he didn't make the trip. He tested positive Saturday morning. He's the outside linebackers coach and the defensive play caller for the Titans. And so 
He tests positive. He doesn't make the trip. We assume he tested positive. We don't know that for sure. He went into COVID protocol and didn't make the trip. So we're assuming now that he did test positive for it, and it was not a false negative, uh, a false positive. And so here we sit now with the locker room. I don't want to say breakout, but it, it is a breakout, I guess, technically, counting the other personnel besides the players who have tested positive. So everybody's pointing the finger at Shane Bowen saying, all right, you brought this in. We don't know that, and we don't know how it started, but they do need to figure out where it started, how it was brought in, who has it, all those things, or if the protocols are working, if they need to do something else in that facility uh, to, to make it better because they're the first team, obviously, to have this happen during the season, so they need to figure it out. The Vikings are also affected because the Titans played Minnesota on Sunday. The Vikings clearly have no blame. They just happen to play the Titans. The Vikings are optimistic they can reopen their facility on Thursday. And the good news is, to the extent that anyone was positive on the field for the Titans on Sunday, the idea that the virus won't spread during games because of the open air or the high ceiling with the great ventilation, with the droplets dissipating quickly so infections can't spread among opponents that's good news if we can even read that you know into what happened between the vikings and the titans all right um a memo went out earlier today from troy vincent the nfl's executive vp of football operations to all teams pointing out that they have seen improvement in compliance with the requirement that all coaches and sideline personnel wear face coverings but they still see issues now it's the, the discipline here is bizarre to me frankly, Shireen, because they hammered five guys last week who blatantly were violating the rules. But there are plenty of others who were wearing the mask, you know, below the nose, which we know is basically the same as not wearing the mask at all. Or you've seen irregularities on the sideline where somebody's mask is hanging down some, but it wasn't as blatant as the five guys who were fine. And the NFLs recognized it. And they said there are still areas where we need improvement. And now this time, the huffing and the puffing isn't, we will fine you. This time, the memo concludes with the discipline includes potential suspension and loss of draft picks. So they're serious about it. We'll see what happens. But with the Tennessee outbreak, the stupidity that we saw from the Las Vegas players, it's important that the NFL continue to be vigilant in the warnings because if teams aren't going to do the right thing on their own, they need that threat of a suspension. Or of, and we know how they feel about their draft picks. Don't touch our draft picks. If draft picks are in play, maybe that's the way to finally get this under control where everyone is complying with the sideline requirements. Yeah. And Mike, we've debated about whether this rule should go away or not. It, it's obvious it's not going away. Dr. Alan Sills, the NFL's chief medical officer, explained that it's just an additional risk mitigation tactic that they can use. And, and we've seen that testing is not 100% accurate. So they want these coaches to comply, to wear them. And can we just talk for a second about John Gruden's mask? What was that that he was wearing? <laughs> it was a loincloth. That was ridiculous. It was a loincloth. It was. That's exactly what it looked like. But I, I saw like Cliff Kingsbury wasn't wearing his mask at times, you know, even when he wasn't calling plays. So I don't know how the NFL decides that you're not wearing the mask enough and we're going to fine you or you're wearing it enough. I, I don't know what they've decided is, is enough. Well, here's the reality, Shereen. And it's a pendulum that goes back and forth for the NFL because on one hand, they want to be very uh, strict and, and, and they will come get you if you fail to comply. On the other hand, and I think this is where it swung last week, we don't want this issue to overshadow the games. Let's talk about the games, not about whether or not guys are wearing their masks. So now the pendulum may be going back the other way, and they'll swoop in and they'll hammer somebody, but then it'll be, we just want to focus on football. So it's a delicate balance. It's PR-driven like so many other things with professional sports, not just the NFL. But I think that's the explanation. There is no real consistency because at the end of the day, what they choose to do is aimed at sending messages. And you mentioned the discussion we had last week about whether or not the coaches need to be wearing masks since they're tested every day. And after what happened with the Raiders, I, I have decided, you know what? It's better to make sure the coaches wear the masks because I think that sends a constant message to the players don't act like this is no big deal. 
don't be complacent. Don't do stupid things. And when your coach is all in with the protocols, it's less likely that the players will do stupid things. And, and as I said earlier today, and Sims pushed back on me a little bit, I think this is a bad reflection on John Gruden that Derek Carr would do something that stupid. You have you got to have better control of your starting quarterback. John Harbaugh, at times, not having control of his face covering on Monday night. If you watched the Chiefs-Ravens game, you saw a moment where Harbaugh's mask was down and he was in the face of an official. Harbaugh discussed today uh, that image that we saw and maybe whether or not we may see it again. We have been, for all three games, you know, really good on the sideline. I mean, I don't think there's anybody better than us, uh, me or our staff, from the beginning of the game to the end of the game. So to think in a you know three-hour heated, uh, competitive environment that, you know, especially when you're yelling, that your mask isn't going to fall down or whatever uh, for five or ten seconds, uh, I think that'd be uh, – I think anybody couldn't be held to that standard that uh, would be a little hard for anybody to hold on to. So um, – I feel really good about the job I'm doing. I feel really good about the job our team is doing, and we'll continue to do our best. I mean, that's fine, but we saw what we saw. And and again, I don't think the NFL is going to have a clear, consistent approach. It's not going to be like a parking ticket when the meter goes out and boom, you get it right. No, no it's you, you never are going to know when they're going to get you because some weeks they may just not want to. But clearly the images that we saw during that game, Shereen, not ideal from the standpoint of trying to send the message about the importance of good mask use and covering your faces, if that's what the NFL intends to send by way of a message to the football-watching world. Absolutely. I mean, he was yelling at an official, but put the mask on. You can yell through the through the mask. There, there aren't fans in the stands, and if there are fans in, in the stands at these games, there's not very many fans in the stands at these games. They can clearly hear you, so get the mask on. It is a rule. You can't take it off to yell at an official. You can take it off to call plays for a little bit, but but he needed to leave the mask on and, and probably should pay a fine for that. But I, I like you said, I don't think they're gonna fine him and I think we're gonna we're gonna move on uh, to next week and I, they want us to talk about football. I feel like these guys believe that their lips need to be seen, that it's easier yes. to hear someone in an outdoor setting when you're yelling. So it's not just the words coming through that that black material. Why, why don't they all wear? There's there's the Gruden loincloth. Uh, what in the world? What in the world? I I you know I I just I don't know that I'd put that over my face. Frankly, I don't know where it's been. Um, but anyway, anyway, uh, why not just wear the Andy Reid welder mask? Because you see yeah. the, the, the Motorola, is it Motorola still? Is it Bose? I, I want to get the right sponsor. It used to be Motorola, now it's Bose. The, the microphone fits right under it, right? It so does. just wear the well, and, and they can see your lips. You don't have to open it up. It doesn't, it's, it, why don't they all do that? I don't get it. There's got to be something that, that is better than wearing a face covering that you feel compelled to pull down so they can see your lips when you're trying to make a point. All right, enough of that. Football is coming, obviously. Well, hopefully. I, we have no reason to think there will be a widespread outbreak that will knock out week four, so we're just going to hold our breath with or without a mask and, and hope for the best. The Buccaneers hoping for the best from Chris Godwin. However, he's going to miss at least one game. They host the Chargers this week. Then they've got the short week game at Soldier Field against the Bears, one of their best receivers with a hamstring problem, missing at least one game. Rob Gronkowski after catching two passes in the first two games of the season, had six catches for 48 yards on Sunday in the win over the Denver Broncos. And what struck me, Shereen, he's played a high percentage of snaps all year long. He was on the field for 63 of 68 snaps on Sunday, 93%. Here's Bruce Arians, coach of the Buccaneers, discussing whether or not that that level of playing time will continue for Gronk moving forward. It was one of those games we had planned it, and... Uh... He looks great, nothing, no, no, nowhere for tear, and uh, so he he had a great practice just now. So, yeah, I, I don't. We'll, we'll see how it goes, but I wouldn't see in this game it being much different. And that's a good sign for Gronk. I think he needs the reps to get himself back to where he was, or as close to where he was that he's ever going to be. I still see him not moving like the Gronk of old. When he has the ball in his hands, there's a sluggishness there. It was there week one, week two, and week three. I don't know when that switch will flip for him, but they're definitely getting their money's worth for $9 million for the year. They're getting him out on the field a lot, Shireen. And uh, I, I really am curious as to what point in the season 
we will see the old Gronk instead of an old Gronk. Yeah, it's a question of if we will see that old Gronk. And, you know, we've talked a lot about Bruce Arians doesn't use his tight ends. They have two really good tight ends behind Gronk, O.J. Howard and Cameron Brait, and Brait's not seeing very much time. And if Gronk can't produce like the old Gronk produced, you've got two tight ends there who have produced, who are still young, who can get it done. So if you're going to use the tight end and Gronk's not the guy you thought he was going to be when you signed him, then you got to move on at some point to those other two tight ends. But his targets did go up, obviously, to seven after seeing one in week two. And we know he has the rapport with Tom Brady or had the rapport with Tom Brady. We're hoping to, to still see them find that or regain that. Uh, moving forward but they're going to miss Chris Godwin you know he missed two games the last two games of last year with this hamstring injury he was headed toward 100 catches and sat out those two games and they missed him with the concussion uh, in week two so you know he's he's in a contract year and needs a big year and and uh, is going to miss another at least one other game now and maybe more than that and I always wonder when a guy's in a contract year could he go with that hamstring if he was paid because, look, you have to be extra sensitive to your body when you have yet to get your financial reward. And you are more likely to throw caution to the wind when you have gotten that contract that you, you believe you actually will, uh, will end up getting at some point. The thing about Gronk, I thought his snaps would be low. I thought, and, and Peter King had this same speculation after visiting camp. He thought it would be O.J. Howard, Cameron Braid, and then Gronk, and with Gronk getting more snaps as the season went on as they worked him into shape. But apparently their goal, their objective, their idea is just throw him into the fray and use that to get him into the kind of shape that he needs to be in. But uh, with Cameron Braid not being used, I mean, do you keep him around as an insurance policy, Shereen, or do you trade him at the deadline, which is coming yeah. up in just a few weeks? Yeah, I, I definitely think you do. I think you look and see what you can get for him and trade one of those tight ends for sure. Maybe you get more for O.J. Howard, but, you know, O.J. Howard's probably your future. You spent a first-round draft pick on him. But if you can get more for him, maybe that's the way you go. But I do think you trade one of those tight ends at the trade deadline and get you some more draft capital for next, next year. You've got a lot of old players on this team, and you're going to have to replenish this team after this year, or at least after 2021. So, yeah, I, I think that would be a great move by the Buccaneers at some point to trade at least one of those tight ends. All right, let's take a break. When we return, Football Pod in America, Mike Tirico, Tony Dungy, Rodney Harrison, and me, and then Shereen and I will be back to wrap things up with some of your questions, plus a quick preview of the looming showdown between the Cowboys and the Browns. More PFT PM coming right after this. Some nasty cross between the Hollywood Squares and the Brady Bunch. Here we are. Welcome to Football Week in America. Mike Tirico, Tony Dungy. Is he this way? No, no. Tony's this way. There you go. Florio's looking down the right way. Rodney's down here. I got that. It's good to be with you all. Uh, you know, guys, we're going to have this, I think, after uh, three weeks of the NFL season. We thought, okay, things are cool. Uh, this COVID-19 thing is figured out. But maybe we got lulled by the bubbles in the NBA and the NHL to think once you got in, it was all going to be smooth. And we have this week, and Florio, I'll start with you. The news has, we're taping this just a short time ago, that the Titans game against the Steelers will be postponed till Monday or Tuesday. What have you been hearing in the conversations the last day or so, Mike? Well, I mean, and the good news is a short-term postponement because it seems to be engineered to give the Titans a chance to go back to their facility on Saturday, get a couple of practices in, and have a fair chance to have a fair game against a Steelers team that has every opportunity to get ready to face the Tennessee Titans. So now that the testing has come back with only one additional positive Titans player as of today, and they'll surely keep testing every day given the incubation period, there is encouragement that they've gotten this contained, that it's not going to be a massive outbreak, that none of the Vikings players caught it during the game on Sunday, which confirms the league's belief that in an open-air setting or in a dome with great ventilation, you're not going to have transmission from one team to the next. The greater risk is transmission among the players and coaches on a given team. So it's good news. It's not perfect news, but it should serve as a wake-up call to the league because I think we'd started to get a little complacent after three weeks. They're like, yeah, this is going to work out. This is going to be fine. We got a reminder this week. It may not be fine. Everybody needs to be careful all year long. I'm going to let Tony and Rodney go and, and ask you questions and get their thoughts on what this deal is. I just got one more for you, Mike. This was Saturday night, Sunday. 
It's now Wednesday as we're talking here. The incubation period's a week or so. The, the question, even though guys are testing negative, we still don't know yet how limited the outbreak is. We hope this is a good sign that everyday testing has been going on. Is there conversation around the people you've talked to that we don't know yet? This is really, I hate to say trial and error, but it's a little bit of that at this point, trying to figure out what the parameters are going to be to know a team is relatively clean going into competition. There's definitely an element of everyone holding their breath and waiting for the daily results to come in and hoping that the numbers don't continue to grow one at a time, two at a time, et cetera. And the question becomes, will they feel comfortable come Saturday that they can allow the Titans players back into the facility? Because even with all of the measures in place to limit the spread, you don't want anyone in there who still hasn't gotten to the point where they've tested positive yet or that the test they they give a sample for on Saturday when they're admitted to the building, comes back a day later that they were positive, that the incubation period finally hit. So there is some concern there, but they're handling this the way that they expected to. This isn't a surprise, as the commissioner said yesterday, and they're just trying to make good decisions while th th there is a certain amount of hold your breath and wait to see how it all plays out. Tony, what do you think about all this? You know, when I worked for Denny Green back in the late 90s, he used to practice these type of things, uh, and they would never, ever come up. But I think th this is what uh, coaches have talked about all year. Hey, we we're going to have to be flexible. Things are going to happen that we couldn't expect. How are we going to react to it? The teams that are in the, in the running, in the hunt at the end of the year, are going to be teams that deal with uncertainty and deal with change the best. So this is going to be a test. I think everybody was kind of waiting for something like this. And now we have to see how people respond. But uh, it's going to be a challenge all year, no question. And I think just after talking to a couple players and I asked them, would you be comfortable going out there playing? They said, you know, yeah, every week is a challenge because you just don't know who's infected or what, what's going on behind the scenes. But I think the, the message in the locker room, Mike, needs to be you need to continue to be careful, diligent, do all this, you know, follow all the safety protocols and don't get relaxed. I live out here in Atlanta and you can go out in the streets and you see people going to clubs, going to gym and everybody's kind of put their guard down with this whole COVID thing. Um, so I think the message has to be from player to player. Hey, we have to continue to do what we have to do throughout the entire NFL. Rods, let me just ask you one more thing about Tennessee and then we'll move on to other stuff. So you're a, you're a player for the Titans, and your facility's shut down till Saturday. You're doing all this stuff virtually. If you can't get back in the facility until then, can you be ready to play a game on a Monday or a Tuesday? I think they're definitely at a competitive disadvantage, Mike, because you want to be in the facility. You want to have access to all the tape and film, and you want to be able to communicate with your coaches. That's a big part of preparation because when you're there and you're practicing, you get a chance to see mistakes, make mistakes, and talk and confer with your, your coaches right there. And it's nothing like being there at the facility, on the practice field, being around your teammates. So I, I definitely believe if, if they're not able to do that, it's definitely a um, competitive disadvantage for them. And, Tony, did all That's the Zoom true, stuff in the offseason help these guys? Yeah, it can. And, and we face that all the mm -hmm. time. One team has a bye. The other team's coming off a, a Monday night game or you, you have to play a Thursday game and you only have three days. So I, I think as a coach, you have to really stress that, hey, no excuses, no explanations. We can't let this impact us. This is just like a bad call on the field. We've got to overcome it. And I, I don't think you're going to hear coaches talk about that. You're not going to hear them make excuses. I agree with Rodney. There is a competitive disadvantage, but you can't let your team feel that. All right, I'm going to let the defensive minds take over here, guys. Uh, through three weeks of the NFL season, 51 points per game is the average. Last year, the record was set. Excuse me, 2012, the record was set. 47.7 points per game. So points per game keep going up, up, up. Axios Visuals did this chart. And this jumped out to me a little bit. Tony, why? Why, why are we seeing this? Well, when I came in the league, you would open up the season, the defenses would always be ahead of the offenses. And the offenses would get their timing down, they would catch up, and then the great offenses were playing great around the playoffs. But ever since we went to this off-season program and changed training camp and everything, it's always been tough on the defense. The offense can work out, Peyton Manning can take his guys to Duke 
and and throw for two months <laughs> and donovan mcnabb can take his guys to phoenix arizona and they can all throw and work out defenses don't have that luxury well i think you've seen that accentuated times 10 with this tom brady is down here i live in tampa he's at berkeley high school every day with his receivers throwing they're getting groove defenses as you say watching on a zoom meeting so they had the advantage and uh it's I don't know when the defenses are going to catch up, but for this first month or two, definitely. I, I thought Baltimore, you know, being a good defense would have a chance to slow Kansas City down. They had no shot. It wasn't even close. So I, I think that's what we're going to be dealing with for the next uh, five or six weeks anyway. Coach, the defense will never catch up. You know why? Because <laughs> the rule changes. When you sit back and watch film, think about it. Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson, they're throwing – you know, slants across the middle, deep posts, um, deep digs inside. No one's afraid of getting hit. No one's afraid of the safety coming down and smacking a wide receiver because these safeties and these defensive backs and linebackers, they're afraid once they hit, first thing they're look, doing is looking around, seeing if a ref is going to throw a, a penalty or something like that. So I think the rules changes have, rule changes have really affected what the defense can do and the confidence in which they can play, Mike Florio. Well, and there's another element, too, here as well. It was a great item from Kevin Seifert of ESPN.com today looking yeah. at the dramatic reduction in holding penalties. Remember, it was a couple of weeks ago, second Sunday of the season, Walt Anderson, now a supervisor of officials, said in an item posted at NFL.com, the officials have been told this year to only call clear and obvious fouls. It would have been nice for the teams to know that before week one so they could have coached it, but that's what's <laughs> happening now. The coaches are coaching it. The holding penalties are happening, but they're not being called. That's boosting the offense. And the way that the story was written, and I can't say I disagree with it, it creates the idea that this is what the NFL wanted, that the NFL wanted to goose scoring, that the NFL, the NFL wanted to not have the game bogged down by a bunch of penalties. People have been complaining about that for years. So now the penalties are down, the scoring is up, and everyone's happy. And I'll tell you Tony, one more factor in that and one reason why the holding penalties are down. They may be getting instructed not to call it. No crowd noise. If you have great pass rushers, and I was with Derek Thomas and Chris Dolman, John Randall, Warren Sapp, those guys get 70% of their sacks at home. And now all of a sudden we're watching on Monday night or yes, Monday night. And Patrick Mahomes is saying, no, 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 let's turn it to 15 block it here. Hey, we're good over there. Everybody can hear they're going on two and on three in the visiting stadium or when they're visiting. And in the past, it was silent snap count tackles can't hear. I get beat a little bit. I have to reach out and grab. None of that is happening. These veteran quarterbacks on the road are carving up good defenses. Hey, Mike, yeah, Tony and Rodney, I was just going to say that because uh, Aaron Rodgers told us that on Saturday before our Sunday night game. And that's exactly what happened. And Matt LaFleur, Rodney, said, I think we're going to look at that here for a while until there are fans back in the stands. Because not only are you drawing guys off, and Aaron did it a couple of times and made it pay, you're also slowing down the defense, too. They can't time it up. It's not off the silent count. And it's just an advantage. And look at the Packers. I think they've allowed two sacks, one in the first two games, and Demario Davis was a free rusher outnumbered off the left side, and nobody touched him, and he got Rodgers on the first drive of the game. Other than that, I think that's been about it for Green Bay. So, Rodney, the defenses are playing at a really a double disadvantage. If you're not getting those flags, you can't hit across the middle, and you're playing at home with guys going with a hard count against you. Well, what organization really changed the rules after um, losing in a particular game? They come back and completely change the rules where you can't jam a receiver past five yards, and I think that's a big part of it. Because you look at – all I'm saying is, Mike, you look at Kansas City Chiefs, and they're up and down the field, and no one, absolutely no one – and you talk about the Patriots, and the key to the game is being physical with these guys. These guys run 4-2, run 4-3. And no one's jamming them at the line of scrimmage. No one wants to touch them because they're afraid of a legal contact or a holding penalty. And I don't know which organization did it, but I know yeah. some, a certain organization changed everything, Coach. Well, with all due respect to Chris Wallace, with all due respect to Chris Wallace, I'm going to give Coach Dungy a chance to reply. All right. <laughs> Let me say this. Uh, I was around when the rules got changed in 1976. 
Okay, and the rules have been there for 35, 40 years that you can jam at the line of scrimmage. You can be physical. You just can't jam eight and 10 yards down the field. So in this particular game that Mr. Harrison is referencing, that's what was talked about, not changing the rule, but enforcing the rule so that those Patriots had to jam within five yards. So uh, I understand what you're saying. It's a valid point. But the rules didn't change in 2004. They changed in 1976. Just so we're hey, close. Fortunately, let me add something. <laughs> Go ahead, Mike. Let me add, uh, <laughs> to the extent that they only are going to throw a flag when it's clear and obvious, I'm reminded of the right. Legion of Boom 2013 time frame where they just decided, you yeah. know what? We're going to grab them yeah. on every play. They're not going to throw a flag on every play. So, Rodney, that may be what the Patriots need to do on Sunday. Just grab them on every play and force the officials to throw the flag. I have no comment, Mike Tirico. Wow. Wow. So you see? I, I spoke the my piece. The did have an impact. Pe pe people are ready to just let their words stand and not continue debating. Mike, it's a really good point. I will tell you that I spoke to a coach in the last week or so who talked about just that. Team X, I'll leave them unnamed for the purposes of our, view, of our uh, conversation. Team X holds on every play. They can't call defensive holding downfield on every play, so they've got to call the egregious ones. That doesn't mean that we can get free because they are holding on every play, but that's been an age-old debate. You brought it up, so, Rodney, I want to start with you. How is uh, the New England defense, that secondary that you've talked about is the key to that unit, how will they do in your mind? How can they approach Patrick Mahomes after what Belichick and those guys watched on Monday night as they went against a good defense in Baltimore and walked it up and down the field in the first half? Well, you see a lot of times, Mike, I think defenses give them too much respect. You got to get in their face, man. The one thing that you have to do that stands out to me every time I watch Kansas City play is you got to try to take away the big play to Tyreek Hill. When he makes the big plays, it just fuels their offense. It gets their offense so pumped up, but it opens up so many things in the middle with Travis Kelsey, the screen game out of, out of the backfield with the running backs. It's so many different things that you have to deal with. It, it puts so much pressure on the defense, but the number one thing you have to do is you have to take away the big play. And, and I see the Patriots getting up there, being physical. You maybe put Jonathan Jones on Tyreek Hill with a safety, double-teaming him and forcing Kelsey and some of these other guys to make plays. And you're going you're gonna to force them to go 10, 12 play drives. You can't allow them just two or three plays, and it's a 60-yard touchdown. Coach, I see you shaking your head. Yeah, no, you're, you're so right. And I think it's uh... – Chiefs are going to struggle a little bit with the changes that uh, New England is going to make. And they will do some things to take away that big play to Tyreek Hill. The two things I would be worried about if I were New England is they'll have some great coverages and, and things that will confuse Mahomes a little bit. The back out of the backfield, Clyde Edwards-Alaire on those linebackers, and then Patrick Mahomes running. When you double cover a bunch of people and you have these different coverages, he hurt Baltimore several times in key situations running. Uh, I think you can look for that on Sunday as well. And I think the, the last point, too, is from an from a sure. offensive standpoint, the offense needs to help the defense. If, if the Patriots mm -hmm. have success running the ball, controlling the clock, keeping Patrick Mahomes on the sideline, they're going to have a really good shot of winning the game because a lot of times those offenses, they're so used to being on the field, they get anxious. And when they get on the field and they're not making those big plays, they get frustrated. But Kansas City, I tell you, Kansas City is a very patient offense. You can't take away everything that they do. But some of the most important things, like you talked about, Coach, Defending the back out of the backfield, the screen game to the wide receiver, some of those intricacies you have to you have to definitely try to slow down, Mike. Hey, when two I things tell real Sims quick, Florio, before you hop in, Mike, one yeah. second, I just want to ask Tony, one, just on Rodney's point there. Tony, does it help Kansas City at all that you've just played Baltimore? Unique, a little bit different offense, do so much out of the run game, and then to follow that up playing New England, which is in more of a similar vein than, let's say, Rodgers and the Packers are the passing happy offenses. No, I think what is going to help Kansas City is the fact that Eric Bieniemy, Andy Reid, and Patrick Mahomes have been together now for these three years. They're going to see something totally unique from, from the Patriots, from something they didn't expect, and how quick they have to adjust to it. But these guys do. I mean, they're, they're very good. Patrick Mahomes has a million plays. He can go to Andy Reid and Bieniemy dial them up. They're going to have a tough time figuring it out early, but I think they'll adjust and adapt.
See, I, I disagree with you, Coach, because I don't think the Patriots are going to try to throw something super exotic on them because they have so many things, and they've seen everything. Everybody's tried to blitz them, drop, you know, blitz cornerbacks, drop defense alignments. They, they've seen everything. But I think that the most important thing is knowing your assignment. Don't give up any blown coverages, any, you know, mistakes in the secondary and putting pressure. I mean, the Los Angeles Chargers did a great job two weeks ago when they played them because they hit Patrick Mahomes and they slowed him down. It wasn't like, you know, they sacked him a bunch of times, but just constantly hitting him, putting pressure on him. Every time he dropped back, he had to pay attention to their pass rushers. I don't know that blitzing makes a difference. That's what the Titans decided last year because you're not going to get him, and he torched the Ravens' defense the other night. But, Rodney, on your point regarding the New England offense, now I, I think that when you play the Chiefs, your offense has to score points when it can. You can't kick a field goal when you're inside the 10 on the first drive of the game. You got to go for seven. You got to score your points. You have to accept that at some point the Chiefs are going to be like that basketball team that goes on an 18-2 to two run. That's just what they are. So you need to prepare yourself for it. You need to score your points. And the other thing you can't do, and we saw this from Lamar Jackson when the Ravens were down 34-20, he had that demeanor of a guy who was frustrated and defeated you can't have that and that's a lesson to cam newton because we've seen that at at times from him in the past they need to focus on scoring points whenever they can and not worry about what the chiefs are doing otherwise they're not going to have a chance to end up with at least one more point on the scoreboard than the chiefs have all right we have to wrap up guys but i want to get a brief word here on the sunday night game the 49ers with everybody out right missing 11 starters go to back to New Jersey and beat the Giants after they beat the Jets. So they leave 2-0, and but even more beat up. But now they'll come back and take on the Eagles, who tied, yet gained, gained, gained a game, or gained ground, I should say, on everyone in their division, because everybody else lost, the Cowboys and the Washington football team and the Giants. Uh, Tony, let me start with you on the Philadelphia situation. Uh, what is your largest area of concern with that Eagles offense after watching them here for three weeks now? Well, to me, they've got to generate some running game and be balanced, not expect uh, Carson Wentz to have to do everything. And then he's got to understand that he doesn't have to be Superman either. He's got to make the plays that are available, but not put himself in harm's way, holding the ball, trying to make too much happen, and certainly not turn it over. Coach, I agree with you, and, and I put the pressure on Doug Peterson because he's the head coach. He's responsible for making sure that his team is prepared. And you look at Carson Wentz, he's just overthinking everything. And that's Doug Peterson's job to kind of simplify things, bring him back. And he's holding the ball. He, you know, he's got a guy wide open. He doesn't want that. Then he looks downfield. And before you know it, the offensive line caves in. I just think they have to get back to doing simple things and run the offense through Miles Sanders. It can't be Carson Wentz dropping back, trying to save the day. He's just not that talented um, of, a, of a player. But he's also, he's, he's not playing with that level of confidence either. And I just need to say this to all Eagles fans out there. You won a Super Bowl within the last three years. It's way too premature to start calling for everyone to be fired, and that's what they're doing. Get rid of Howie Roseman. Get rid of Doug Peterson. Get rid of Carson Wentz. Make Jeff Lurie sell the team. Folks, sometimes it takes time, and I think there's so much pressure on Carson Wentz because of that, because he wasn't the quarterback for the Super Bowl win, because they picked him over Nick Foles. They paid him the contract. They need to find ways to let him build his confidence during games, because it does feel like he's trying to do too much to justify the faith that the team has in him, and to, to quiet all the folks in Philly who don't appreciate the fact that there's a fairly new Lombardi trophy in the lobby to the facility. Mike, Mike, Tariq, I just want to make one last, yeah. I just want to make one last more sure. point about Doug Peterson. The thing that I'm really kind of just like stunned about, Doug Peterson has changed his complete mindset. Before it was, hey, I'm going for it on fourth down. He had an arrogance and a confidence in his team. Now all of a sudden he's playing for ties. He's conservative. And it's like, come on, Doug, like what what kind of coach are you going to be? You're totally different than what you were before. And, Coach, you talked about it. When they had success, they were running the football. They got to get back to running the football, controlling the line of scrimmage. And you look at a guy like Jason Peters, who moved from guard to, to left tackle, he looks terrible. Why would you put a guy that's so old he can't move, he can't handle those young pass rushers, and you wonder why they're struggling offensively? And they've run out of options with all the injuries. Tony, I'm, I'm just curious... As a coach, 
Are there times that you know that your team, ju you just can't get them there? You, you know whether it's offensive line injuries or what's going on, that you can't be as aggressive as you'd like to be because the guys who you have right now aren't in a place to execute at that level at this moment. You definitely have more confidence when you have your veteran players and things are rolling, but uh, you guys hit on one great point, and I think Rodney said it, running the football. When uh, Nick Foles played, that was a big part of it, and then you didn't get that tremendous pass rush because so many of the passes were off the RPO, and the defensive linemen were reading run. They weren't teeing off and rushing the passer. So I think they've got to get back to that uh, and, and help that offensive line a little bit. 256 and 256, I think that's going to be my website because every fan base does not believe that every team does lose a game. <laughs> you can't win every game. Your team can't. <laughs> there are an even number of wins and losses in the league every year. And you go city to city. I was just in New Orleans, was listening to the folks in Green Bay, back home in Michigan. Everyone wants to know what's wrong with their team. Somebody does have to lose every game. It's sometimes what, we forget. Mike, what is well, we'll 256? What is it's the number of games in the year. Six games. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. So every, everybody wins one. Everybody loses one. At the end of the day, Rodney, and you know what? Actually, it's not the case because we already had a tie. So uh, you get my drift. <laughs> but I, I, I'm going to say this. That tie may help Philadelphia win at the end of the year. That may not have been the worst thing in the world. If you try that 58-yard field goal and you miss and you turn the ball over, the Bengals get one play. They're in field goal range. That's a loss for you. That might in a division where, you know, 8-8, eight 9-7 eight, already is looking good at the start of October. That might be, uh, might be helping Philadelphia down the line. All right, guys, we'll talk about the 49ers when we're all together for uh, football night. And Chris Sims joins us. Have uh, safe travels. Great rest of your week. We look forward to seeing everybody Sunday. When it comes down to it, we're playing the Cowboys defense. Uh, and, you know, we have to do whatever it takes to win. And if that is a shootout, then great. Then if it's another game where we have to control the clock, uh, then we'll do that. So whatever it takes to win. Baker Mayfield from earlier today talking to reporters, obvious statement, whatever it takes to win. They are built to chew the clock. They are built to keep Dak Prescott and company off the field. But if the opportunity is there to throw the ball down the field, that's what they need to do. Kevin Stefanski, the coach of the Browns last week, trying to make that point clear. It doesn't mean they're just going to run the ball with Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt over and over all year long. The matchup is going to dictate what you think you can do. Shereen, based on what you've seen from the Cowboys defense, should the Browns use this as an opportunity to work on their passing game or just do what they know is working well and run the ball, run the ball, and run the ball some more? Yeah, I think they start with the run. That's the best one-two punch in the NFL with Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, both over 200 yards rushing and I, and I think it's a philosophy that the Cowboys need to follow one of their problems so far has been time of possession that we know that defense isn't very good so they need to keep that defense off the field as much as possible and that's by running running the ball and they haven't given it to Ezekiel Elliott enough he has no 100 yard games he's barely over 200 yards 218 I think it is right now so they need to give him the ball run clock and keep the ball out of Baker I hate to say it but keep it out of Baker Mayfield and that Browns offense's hands because their defense is so bad I mean they're just terrible other than Alden Smith who if he doesn't get to the quarterback there are going to be throws down the field so the Cowboys need to adopt the policy of Kevin Stefanski still what they're doing and try to run the ball first and keep their defense off the field. So their best bet is for not to be a shutout, a shootout. They're one and two because they've played in three shootouts so far. Every time I brought up that point, though, on the morning show, PFT Live with Chris Sims and me about the Cowboys maybe running the ball more, especially against the Seahawks, chew up the clock, keep Russell Wilson on the sideline. Chris makes the point the offensive line isn't what it used to be. So you're not going to be able to run the ball as well as you used to be able to do it. Is Ezekiel Elliott good enough to get his yards without the offensive line at the level that we've seen it in past years? Uh, it's a great point. I mean, without Tyron Smith, who didn't practice again today, and missing Lyle Collins, who's getting close to returning but not there yet. Yeah, without those tackles, they're not the same offensive line that we've seen and no Travis Frederick at center. You're exactly right. And it's a great point by Chris. That offensive line's not the same. But they've got to find a way to run more clock because the time of possession right now is killing them. Question from the PFTPM Posse account on Twitter. 
Do we think that Alden Smith and Demarcus Lawrence should trade contracts based on Alden's production through three weeks versus Lawrence's since he got paid? Obviously, it's in jest. They can't trade contracts. Alden Smith probably would be interested in doing that. But the reality is Alden Smith has been their best pass rusher. Alden Smith has been borderline dominant. After five years out of football, he should have been the week three defensive player of the week for the NFC. I will be stunned if he's not the NFC defensive player of the month for September. That gets announced Thursday morning. Alden Smith has been tremendous. Four sacks. In the Seahawks game, he was always around Russell Wilson. And, you know, that Shaq Barrett winning the award versus Alden Smith. Shaq Barrett was chasing around backup scrubs in Denver. Alden Smith was chasing around Russell Wilson and catching him. Yeah, absolutely. He's got four sacks and seven quarterback hits this so far this year. He has been their best pass rusher, and they paid Demarcus Lawrence to be that guy. And, hey, look, he's playing through a knee injury right now. He didn't practice today. We know all that. But since signing that big contract before 2019, five sacks, 16 quarterback hits, no forced fumbles. That's not what you paid him for, and he's played a lot of games. He played every game last season. He's played all three games this season. He has not produced enough for the Cowboys they are grateful they have Alden Smith because if they didn't, they would have been blown out in all, all, all three games and be 0-3 right now. Alden Smith reminds me of Lawrence Taylor. When I see him in the two-point stance, he's got the demeanor, he's got the movement of a late career. Lawrence Taylor, not in his prime. And it makes me wonder what Alden Smith would have been if he'd had a prime, if he'd played when he was 24, 25, 26, 27 28, 29, 30. He just turned 31 the other day. Happy birthday, Alden Smith. But those years lost forever. And it's a shame because we may have missed out on a truly special talent, Shereen. Yeah, we missed out on the prime of his career, but he's looking pretty good now and has a few more years left. And he's going to get paid. If he continues to play like this and do the right things off the field, he's going to get paid a lot of money. Cowboys-Browns, one of the many games coming up this weekend. Coming up on Thursday, Pro Football Talk Live on Peacock and elsewhere. PFTPM picks pod tomorrow. Chris Sims on button PFTPM joint collaboration. I don't know who won last week. I have a feeling I didn't, but uh, we'll, we'll do all the picks tomorrow. Have a great day. See you in the morning. Thanks for joining us. NetCredit is here to say yes to a personal loan or line of credit when other lenders say no. Apply in minutes and get a decision as soon as the same day. Loans offered by NetCredit or lending partner banks and serviced by NetCredit. Application subject to review and approval. Learn more at netcredit.com slash partner. NetCredit. Credit to the people. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.